0: let me ask you a question. Are you in a right relationship with God? I mean, not just like surface level, you know, don't think about it, just yes or no. Just, I mean, just think about that for a second. Not a rhetorical question. Just really stop and think about it. Are you, are you confident that you are in a right covenant relationship with God? I mean, If you think about it like marriage, because it is a lot like marriage, I mean I I know for a fact that I'm married, right? I mean, there's no question about it. I know that I have a covenant relationship with my wife. I know that we're in we're in good relationship with each other, right? Are you that confident that you are in a covenant relationship with God? And then if the answer's no, then I mean, seriously, come talk to me, come talk to one of the shepherds, come talk to somebody. And let's let's remedy that situation. But if the answer is yes, then I want to ask you a follow-up question. Why? Why are you confident that you are in a right relationship with God? On what basis? On what basis are you confident that you are right with God? There's lots of different ways you could answer that question. I've heard people answer that question in a lot of different ways. But really... I think there's really only one right way to answer that question. And and really, it comes down to two big, if you want to generalize, two big ways of thinking about and reading the Bible and reading Scripture, two different ways to base what you think of as a covenant relationship with God. One is legitimate, and one is an illegitimate way of thinking about things. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. But before we really get into Romans uh, chapter 10, I, w- I want to do what we've done several times so far. And I want to look at a, a chapter of the Old Testament first, because it's one that, that Paul quotes a lot uh, in Romans chapter 10. So if you've got your Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 30, starting in verse 1. I want to go through this pretty quickly uh, before we get to our Romans section, but, but just listen. Just listen as closely as you can, kind of write these images on your, on your mind and kind of picture in your mind what Moses is saying to the people. Now, you remember what Deuteronomy is about? Deuteronomy, it's a Greek title. It means second law, right? Second law. Not that it's a different law than the first law, but it's the second giving of the law, right? So after the people of Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, after coming out of Egypt, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And right before they go into the promised land, Moses reminds this new generation, because a lot of the old generation had died off, right? Right? And now, before they go into the promised land, Moses reminds them about the law. He reminds them about God. He reminds them about their covenant. He reminds them about what God has done for them. Now, I want you to listen to what Moses says about the law. And we're going to consider two different ways of reading this. Two different ways of thinking about their relationship with God. Two different ways of thinking about the law. So, Deuteronomy 30, verse 1. And when all these things come upon you, the blessings or the blessing and the curse which i've set before you and you call them to mind among, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the lord your god has driven you so in other words if you disobey what god is telling you to do you're going to be exiled right you're going to be kicked out you're going to be driven into other lands other nations And call these things to mind, and when you return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice in all that I command you today, with all your heart and with all your soul, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you, and he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will take you. And the Lord, verse 5, and the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possess, that you may possess it. And he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. And the Lord your God will, listen, same type of language that we read in Ezekiel, right? And, he will make, or he, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. And the Lord your God will put all these curses on your foes and enemies who persecuted you, and you shall again obey the voice of the Lord and keep all his commandments that I command you today. I'm going to go ahead and kind of hint at the two different ways of reading this, right? You you can really read all of this, and, and this is just kind of a snippet, but you could read all of the law two different ways. One, you could read it thinking my covenant relationship with God is completely dependent on my obedience, right? So if I'm going to be right with God, it's because I'm faithful, I'm good, I'm a keeper of what I'm supposed to do, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, therefore, really, the basis of my relationship with God is me and doing what I'm supposed to do. That's one way of reading this. Another way of reading this is that God is the one, right? When you're scattered, who's the one that's going to bring you back? God is going to gather you back. And and, and when you're scattered and when you're brought back, who's the one that's going to circumcise your heart? Are you going to circumcise your own heart? No, God is the one that's going to circumcise your heart. To do what? So that you love him with all of your heart and your mind and your soul Verse 9, the Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your womb, and in the fruit of your cattle, and in the fruit of your ground. For the Lord will again take delight in prospering you as he took delight in your fathers when you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that are written in the book of the law when you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Verse 11, for this commandment that I command you today is not, listen, For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you. Neither is it far off. You can do what God is asking you to do, right? It's not too hard for you. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it, right? I mean, it's not like it's way up there and somebody's got to do some amazing feat to bring it down for us. You can do this. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. What God really wants of you, you can do that. What God really requires of you, you can do it. He's given you a commandment that you can truly obeying his voice and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. Okay, so just kind of keep that in your mind, what Moses is telling them. You can do what what God is asking of you, and, and there's chances are you're not gonna do what God is asking of you, and so you're gonna be driven out And when you're driven out, I want you to remember this. And I want your hearts and your minds to turn back to God. And God is going to do a great act to gather every one of you. He says, even if you're scattered to the heavens, God is going to gather you all back. And he's going to circumcise your heart so that you truly love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul. And this is what God is going to do. Okay, so kind of remember what Moses is telling them there. Now, let's summarize. Oops, sorry. Next slide. Uh, summary of Romans one through eight. This is what we've talked about thus far. In keeping with His promises, and again, it has a lot to what we ju- a lot to do with what we just read in Exodus chapter thirty. In keeping with His promises, God is rescuing creation from the reign of sin and death by adopting, justifying, and giving His Spirit to all those who have faith in Jesus. And when we say all, we mean Jew and Gentile, right, that's a big emphasis, to all those who have faith in Jesus with the promise that their mortal bodies, along with the whole creation, will be redeemed when his wrath is revealed against sin. So that's the first eight chapters that we have talked about ad nauseum the last few weeks. So uh, Romans chapter 9, God is not unfair for choosing to honor Gentiles who believe in Jesus, and Jews that believe in Jesus, but he's not unfair for for choosing to honor Gentiles who believe in Jesus, nor is he unfair for choosing to shame Israelites who reject Jesus. That just because you're an Israelite doesn't mean you get favored treatment with God. God honors all those who build their life on Jesus, and he shames all of those who reject Jesus, whether they're Jew or Gentile. For all those that build their life on the rock, then they are honored and will not be put to shame. So that was the end of Romans chapter 9. So a sort of. Romans 1 through 9 in your head and with Exodus 30 in your head let's let's dive into chapter 10. So Paul started chapter 9 by saying or yeah started chapter 9 by saying that that he he would almost want to be cut off from Christ if that meant the salvation of whom the other Jews, right? My 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 family. In fact, it almost seems unfair that they would be cut off because ethnically they are the people of God. They're the ones to whom all of these promises belong. But God isn't being unfair by cutting off those who reject uh, the Messiah. So he says this in Romans 10. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. He hasn't given up on his fellow Jews that have rejected Jesus. His desire is for all of them to be saved, for the Gentiles to be saved and for Jews to be saved. But he says, for I bear them witness... Talking about his Jewish relatives, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to what? Knowledge. Now, now, I mean, if you were, if you were a Jewish non-Christian, right, the people about whom he's writing, not that non-Christians are necessarily reading this, but I'm sure many did, right? So if you're a Jewish unbeliever in Jesus and you read what he's saying, he's saying, you have a zeal for God but not according to knowledge, right? I mean, you're passionate about the law. You're passionate about Moses. You're passionate about Yahweh. You, you, do they think they have a knowledge? Absolutely, right? Did Paul, before he became a follower of Jesus, before he became an apostle, did he believe that he had a knowledge? Yes. I mean, was he zealous for God? Did he have a zeal for God? Absolutely. So much so that he was killing Christians, right? Right? And Paul would say that that zeal wasn't according to to knowledge. And the the zeal of his fellow Israelites who want nothing to do with Jesus and following Jesus have a zeal for God, but their zeal is not according to knowledge. Now, why? Why is their zeal not according to knowledge? He says, verse 3, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own They did not submit to God's righteousness. Now, this brings up the point we were making a minute ago. There are two ways of reading the law. One way of reading the law says we are responsible. It would be the Israelites, right? So the Israelites reading the law thinking we are responsible for making ourselves right with God through the keeping of the law, right? We're responsible for making ourselves in a right relationship with God by the keeping of the law, by keeping all of the rules, by keeping all of the commandments, by wearing the right clothes, and eating the right food, and observing the right holidays, and doing all of these cultural, ethnic, law things that Moses passed down to us, we are in a right relationship with God because we keep the law. So it's our own righteousness, our own faithfulness, right? I'm in a right relationship with God. I'm being saved. I'm justified because of my faithfulness, because of my righteousness, because I do what I'm supposed to do. Being ignorant of the righteousness of God, seeking to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness, He says two things there, right? Not only were they seeking to establish their own righteousness, but they're ignorant of the righteousness of God, right? They're ignorant of God's righteousness, and it says they did not submit to God's righteousness. So what's the other way of reading the law? The other way of reading the law is saying, I've broken these commandments, and I've sinned, Have mercy on me, God, a sinner. That the only way I can be in a right relationship with God is if God is righteous. The only way I can be in covenant relationship with God is if God is faithful. The only way I can be right with him is if he is the one who's responsible for our being in relationship with each other. And so I submit to your righteousness right those are two drastically different ways of reading the law and there are two drastically different ways of thinking about how a person goes about being in a right relationship with God are you in a right relationship with God because you're really good and really faithful and you've kept the rules and you've been righteous and you've done what you were supposed to do or is it because you've trusted God to gather you, and to circumcise your heart, and to change you, and to justify you, and to make you what you couldn't possibly be on your own. Now, when you go back and you read Exodus chapter 30, can you read Exodus chapter 30 both ways? You can, can't you? You can go back and you read, yeah, but it says, obey, 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 obey. Yes, it absolutely does. But in the end, it also says, but you're not going to. And who's going to take responsibility for maintaining and preserving and rectifying the covenant? Who's going to take responsibility for rectifying the covenant? Not you. It's God. It's God who's going to gather you. It's God who's going to circumcise your heart. It's God that's going to change you. It's God that's going to make you into a person who loves him with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. So I'm giving you this Have it in your mind and and what I'm asking of you and what's God really asking of his people? What was God asking of his people there in Exodus chapter 30? To keep all of the rules perfectly and not to mess up in the tiniest thing or if they did, they're out And, and for them to take responsibility, full responsibility for the covenant relationship or is God asking his people, trust me, trust me, love me, be faithful to me. In fact, even the law itself makes provision for sin, doesn't it? And that's what half the law is about. is about when you mess up, and you will, here's what you do. Here's what you do. You offer these sacrifices, and God makes provision for the weakness of his people. So what he's really asking of his people is, trust me. But instead of reading the, the law that way, that led them to a humble submissive trust that submitted, as Paul says, submitted to God's righteousness, God's faithfulness, God's justice, instead of it leading them to submit to God's righteousness, they read it trying to establish a righteousness of their own. Now, how often do we read even the New Testament that way? If we're super honest with ourselves. Where we read it and we think, I'm in a right relationship. Why? Because I've done what I was supposed to do. I kept the rules. I'm faithful. I'm righteous. I've done what God told me to do. No, you haven't. Right? You haven't. You haven't done that. And the reading of this law... That's good. Paul isn't for a moment saying the law was bad or the law was wrong or don't pay attention to the law. He's not saying that at all. In fact, look what he says here in verse four. For Christ is the end. That, the word there is telos, you know, like telescope. It's, it's the end, it's the goal. It's the goal of the law for righteousness to everyone who what? Believes. And isn't that everything he's been saying so far? That God is rescuing his creation, how? By justifying and adopting and giving his spirit to whomever has faith in Jesus. And, And that's what the law was supposed to do. The law was supposed to lead people to a faith in God that when the Messiah showed up, they said, well, that's the answer to our problems. He's the one. I trust him. He's going to rescue us. He's going to save us. It's the Pharisee in Jesus' parable. Do you remember? You you had the the Pharisee and the tax collector. you remember the Pharisee? And he, oh, God, oh, thank you, God. I mean, thank you that I'm not like those crazy weirdos over there and those weirdos over there. I mean, you, you know what those people do? I'm not like any of them. I'm so much better than that. Oh, God, I'm good. And you're lucky to have me on your team, right? And that's how the Pharisee prayed. And the tax collector he wouldn't even look up to God, but beat his breast and said, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's those people who recognized Jesus for who he was and said, I trust you to lead me out of this mess. That is the goal of the law. But for those people that, that want to establish their own righteousness, for those people say, no, 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 I don't, I don't need any rescuing. I don't need any help. I'm not anybody's slave. I, I didn't do anything wrong. I've been doing things by the rules all this time. I've been a rule keeper. I don't need rescuing. For those people, they haven't gotten the point, right? And, and as he just got through saying in chapter 9, this foundation stone has become a stumbling block to those people to those who seek to establish a righteousness of their own. Oh, church, we've got to be so careful that when we read scripture, it leads us to Jesus, to a humble, desperate, submissive, repentant dependence on Jesus to say the only way I can be in a right covenant relationship with God is if God is a keeper of promises. The only way I can be in a right covenant relationship with God is if God is a rescuer of the sinful and the broken. The only way I can be right with him is if he saves me and rescues me. It's that kind of an attitude that the law was supposed to produce in us, that the law was supposed to produce in Israel, so that the law led to Jesus, so that Christ is the end or the goal of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Okay, verse five. For Moses writes about the righteousness that's based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. I mean, he says that sort of thing all throughout the the five books of the law, right? Do the commandments and you'll live by them. And a lot of people just pulled that out. (laughs) I mean, we talk about us pulling things out of context. I mean, they were just as easily fall into that trap as we are, right? And just pull that out of context. You know, I, that's what I do. I, I live by the laws. God says, do my commandments and I'll live. Okay, that's, that's how I'm going to be in a right relationship with God. I'm going to do what's right. But, but what has Paul already established all throughout this book, Romans 3.20? By works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. How well does that work out for us? when that is how we seek to establish our right covenant relationship with God is by the keeping of the law. It doesn't. And the law convicts us and says, fine, if that's, if that's the basis, you think that because of your righteousness, because you're good and faithful and you do what's right, that's why you're okay, then, then you have no desire to submit to God's righteousness or to the offer that Jesus is making. So, Moses writes about the righteousness that's based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? Does this sound like what we just read in Deuteronomy 30? Yeah, and and Paul's drawing a parallel to that. He's saying, what I'm saying to you, this message about Jesus, it's the same sort of thing that Moses said to the people of Israel. This, This isn't hard, this isn't hard. You can do this. You can follow Jesus. Just like you you had a law that you could keep, right? So he says, don't say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. That's to bring Christ down. Don't say, you know, who's going to accomplish this for us or don't, don't think that you have to ascend into heaven because it's exactly what Jesus has already done, right? And to think that, well, in order to make God happy, and in order to be righteous with Him, then I've got to ascend into heaven. No, no, no. And that would be to bring Jesus down. Don't think that you have to ascend into heaven. That was to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? Now, in Deuteronomy 30, Moses had said, cross the sea, you know. But, but he puts it this way. Descend into the, the depths of the grave, to the abyss. And don't think that, that you've got to descend into the abyss in order to right with God. For that's to bring Christ up, right? That's to, to bring Christ up from the dead. He already did that. He has already died and descended into the grave and now has ascended into heaven and is at the right hand of God. And so these things that, that Paul is setting before you, you can do this. You can be this person that God is calling you to be, verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you. Again, Deuteronomy 30. What does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. And Paul, again, is applying that to what he's saying. That is the word of faith that we proclaim, right? It's right there. Don't don't think you got to go down to the pit in order to get it and bring it back up, or don't think you got to ascend into heaven to bring it down, or do some great feat in order to be right with God. No, 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 no. It's right here. It's right in front of you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. What is the word of faith that we proclaim? Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that is that Jesus has ascended into heaven, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. That he's the one that went to the grave and was raised from the dead and now he has ascended. You will be what? Saved. You've got to believe that. You've got to put away this foolish notion that you can establish your own righteousness. And here's how you're in a right relationship with God. You believe that Jesus is the one who's done it, who's accomplished it, who was faithful to God, and it's his faithfulness, God's faithfulness through Jesus that is your salvation. Your salvation is based on the faithfulness and the righteousness of God the Father and God the Son, not on your own. And that word, what what do I need to do? You need to do, same thing that, that Jesus said in John. Remember, we just talked about this. What's the work that God would have me to do? Believe in the one whom he has sent, right? Now, I got to put a side note, and I wish I didn't even have to do this, right? But, but so many people pull this chapter out and say, see there, you don't have to get baptized because all you have to do is... And, and I, I just find that, that silly because we went through Romans 6, didn't we? Uh, Paul ties all of that together. That's what you're doing when you're baptized. You're believing in Jesus, What you're doing when you're baptized is saying, I can't save myself. I cannot establish my own righteousness. I can only be saved by a faithful God who keeps his promises and loves his creation and is seeking to rescue them. That's what you're doing when you're baptized. You're you're piggybacking on the death of Jesus, on his faithfulness, his keeping of promises, his righteousness, his obedience. And by attaching yourself to him, you come out on the other side alive. And again, somebody might say, well, does that just mean we can live however we want to? And again, Paul answers that in Romans 6, doesn't he? No, just because this relationship with God is a gift based on faith doesn't mean that you you keep living in sin. It means you're dead to that lifestyle. Why? Why? Because God has rescued you and put you in a right relationship with himself by his own righteousness and faithfulness, keeping of promises. Because, verse 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses. And is saved. For the scripture says, verse 11, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there is no, again, this is his major overarching point, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. That's his major point, isn't it? His major point is, I have never changed. God has never changed, right? Paul's point is, God was the same when he dealt with Abraham? On what basis was Abraham in a right relationship with God? His circumcision? His law-keeping? No, there wasn't even a law when Abraham was in a right relationship with God. Circumcision? He wasn't even circumcised when he first was declared righteous. On what basis was Abraham in a right relationship with God? What's the answer? Faith, right? Faith. And then he goes through and he says... And what about the people with the law? Is it, is it that they were just perfect rule keepers? Is that why they were in a right relationship with God? No, it's never been that way. God has never changed. It's always been on the basis of faith. And that's what the law was supposed to teach you. And where the law was supposed to bring you was to your knees at the foot of the cross so that you recognize Jesus for who he is and submit to the righteousness of God by faith so that you believe in the one he has sent and you say only through you Lord only by you Lord only in you Lord does that mean you don't have to get baptized I mean this obsession with do I have to get baptized I mean that's that's a really modern question I mean, everybody that Paul was talking to, Romans 6, Galatians 3, Colossians 2, Acts 2, I mean, everybody understood. If you, if you knew I'm a follower of Jesus, that meant when you became a follower of Jesus, you did it by being baptized. And that was your intention when you were baptized, was I can't save myself. I can't be in a, it doesn't matter that I'm a Jew. It doesn't matter that I was circumcised when I was eight days old. It doesn't matter that I've kept the Sabbath. It doesn't matter that I eat kosher foods. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. I need a Savior, and I trust Jesus to be that Savior. And Paul says, listen, on that basis, the people that have that kind of confessing, heartfelt faith, whether they're a Jew or a Gentile, it doesn't matter. They are the family of God. They are the family of God those who put their faith in Jesus, the Messiah. And it's on those people, I love this phrase, that God is bestowing his, what is it? Riches. God is bestowing his riches for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 14, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, right? It's this message that saves people. It's this message of Jesus. And nobody can be saved, whether they're a Jew or not, whether they're a Gentile or not. No matter where, they can't be saved unless they hear this message. And that's why we have to take this message. And how beautiful are the feet that bring euangelion, good news, The slaves are being set free. The sins and the debts are being erased. All things are being made new. Come and eat at the master's table, right? I mean, all of this good news, how beautiful are the feet that bring this good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. What does that mean? mean, Growing up, I mean, I thought obey the gospel means get baptized get baptized. That's what obey the gospel means. Again, can you you become obedient to the gospel without being baptized? Of course not. That's part of all of this, but it's so much more than that. It goes back to what he said in the beginning of the chapter. It's submitting to the righteousness of God. It's, It's submitting to Jesus, and that it's his faithfulness and his obedience, and it's God being a keeper of promises that sets me right and sets me in a right relationship with him. It's, it's him that sets me free and not myself. And some people have rejected that and said, I don't, I don't want that message. I want to save myself. Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, the message of Jesus word of Christ but I ask have they not heard indeed they have for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the end of the world but I ask did Israel not understand from first Moses says I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation with a foolish nation I will make you angry God is using the Gentiles to make the Jews jealous and say I want what they have he'll expound more on that as we go Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I've been found by those who did not seek me. I've shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I've held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. I want to save you. But first, you have to submit to my righteousness and stop trying to establish a righteousness of your own. And church, as relevant as that message was for first century Jews, I think it's just as relevant for 21st century Christians. On what basis do you believe that you are in a right covenant relationship with God? Or do you believe that you are? He wants you to be in a right covenant relationship with him. And the basis of that covenant relationship is submission, faithful submission to Jesus, submitting to the righteousness of God. So here's the summary, as I'd I'd put it, Romans 10. God bestows his covenant riches on all those who submit in faith to the lordship of Jesus. Whoever believes in his heart confesses with his mouth. That's what we're doing when we become Christians and as we follow Jesus, that's the basis on which God lavishes his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Let's pray before we go. Father, thank you. Thank you for blessing us with all your riches now and in the future. Father, thank you for making us right with you. May we never for one moment try to establish our own righteousness, but may we forever submit to yours. May we be obedient because of what you have done for us in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Father for Jesus. Thank you, Father, for saving us. It's in his name we pray. Amen.